Welcome to the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman, unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Ian interviews some of the brightest minds who share proven methods to help you achieve success and grow revenue with integrity. Every episode concludes with a quick recap of actionable steps you can take to deliver tangible, immediate results for your business. Now, here's your host, Ian Altman. Hey, it's Ian Altman. On this episode, I'm joined by Jack Quarles. Many of you may know that Jack is my co-author of Same Side Selling, and he spent the better part of the last two decades in the purchasing and procurement side of the world. So we're going to let Jack give his insight into what's going on in the buyer's mind. We'll talk about the biggest mistake that sellers make in approaching buyers. We'll talk about the certain phrases that trigger an adversarial response from the buyer. And we're going to play a little word association game. I'm going to share terms that you might say to a buyer, and Jack's going to tell us how the buyer reacts. You're going to have a blast with Jack Quarles. So Jack Quarles, welcome to the show. Ian, it's great to talk to you. How are you doing? You know what? I'm fantastic. And as most people know, um, you, you and I wrote Same Side Selling together, and the the area where people give me the greatest feedback is they say, man, I love all those pieces of the buyer's perspective, which of course is all the stuff that you wrote. And so <laughs> we want to spend a lot of time today focusing on what goes on in the buyer's mindset that sellers need to better appreciate. So let me start with this. What's the biggest mistake that you see sellers make when they approach potential buyers? Well, yeah, Ian, thanks so much for having me on. And, and you know, um, yeah, it's no secret that uh, we know each other. And just if people haven't read that book, I just want to give them this context. You know, I went to one of your sales seminars when I know you a little bit, and I was in the Washington, D.C. area. And I was expecting to kind of hear the other side. I'm a procurement guy. I've been in the field for 20 years. I've been in expense management, helping companies save money and buy and do RFPs and negotiation. And so as a buyer, I wanted to catch up on the other side's latest tricks. I thought, well, I'll get to hear uh, what Ian is up to, what he's teaching the sophisticated uh, sellers so they can't trick my clients. And what I found is that almost everything you said in terms of what you teach your clients is very congruent with the way I teach buyers to buy meaning it's all about value, it's about long-term relationships. And to get back to your question, I think that the mistake that a lot of sellers make is when they underestimate their buyers and when they see them as somebody that's only focused on price. Because if the seller goes in and that's their mindset, then that's probably the way the transaction is going to work out. Yeah, and I, and I think a lot of times what I see is that the seller positions the discussion all about price unwittingly. So they'll actually approach the buyer and say, well, how much are you spending now? And then as the seller, what do you usually hear next? I mean, what, when, when, or rather as the buyer, what do you usually hear next from those people? So they'll, they'll come to you and they'll say, so Jack, <laughs> Jack, what are you paying now? And then what do they tell right. you? Well, well so um, I, I'm writing a book currently that we talked about called Expensive Sentences. And one of the expensive sentences that buyers use is, well, we're already under budget, so let's buy it, right? <laughs> it's, the, it's the idea of budget-based buying. In other yep. words, the important thing is what we spent last year or what we had approval for and not what the right value is. Now, that's how the federal government operates, and that's how we got to $20 trillion in debt, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so most companies don't have the luxury of operating that way. 
And most buyers at this point are beyond the phase where it was simply, we've got budget approval. This is what we can afford to spend, and so this is what we're going to spend. Yeah. Uh, buyers tend to be a little more sophisticated than that, and they're looking to evaluate the marketplace to see what's happened with technology, how the uh, competition has evolved, uh, where they can get the most value, and of course, what the prices are as well. Yeah, and and I think that uh, you know what I, what I often see is those sellers who then come in and say, "Oh, well, you're currently spending this. Well, I could probably save you some money," and they they believe that's how they're going to capture the attention of the buyer. But why doesn't that work? <laughs> well, you know the story about the one armed fisherman. No, but I know, I know we're about to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he caught a fish and it was this big. <laughs> Now, now the, the joke may not translate over a podcast that well, but you can get the joke, right? <laughs> Visually holding up one arm, that's no way to measure a fish. Yeah. In buying, in business in general, we're surrounded by a lot of one-armed fishermen. And what I mean by that is people that focus on one number, which is when you're selling the price. More sophisticated va- buyers are looking at value. They're looking at the price that they're paying, but also the benefit that they're getting. So if you can go in as a seller and convey that you understand that a buyer is looking for not just the lowest price, not just the best deal, but long-term value and long-term relationship and value that extends beyond what you're selling but can overlap and reduce their expenses elsewhere, that can convey that you've got a sophisticated understanding of their business and that you can really be a person that can be trusted to deliver not just a fair price but big value. And I know one of the areas that we that we write a lot about in same side selling is this idea of focusing on results. And I think that the challenge is that when when sellers go in and they focus on price at the expense of results, what happens is they're thinking that somehow if I show this this buyer that my price is lower, they're going to buy from me. Um, but really, instead, if they focused on the result side of it, if instead they talked to them and said, "Well, it doesn't matter what I charge you if it doesn't if it doesn't deliver results, right?" I mean, how how do you see that manifest itself in terms of the buyer seller interaction when you're on the procurement side? Well, I guess I've got to allow that a lot of the reason we're in this position is because of the buyers. So, you know, the frustration that a lot of sellers have about selling into procurement, about answering RFPs, about these buyers that beat them up on price, that's real. (laughs) And and that's from a legitimate place. And I understand that. A lot of people in procurement departments at big companies, at smaller companies, like to drive things down to a commodity, right? They like to get to that apples to apples to apples comparison and then just look for the lower price. But I want to let your listeners know that that version of procurement and of buying theology is is about 20 or 40 years old. And the people that are at the vanguard now and that are buying in a more uh, sophisticated way understand that it's not just about price. So if you go in there and just talk about price, again, the buyers will probably respond that way. But I think I'd say to your listeners to give their buyers a little more credit um, to think that they can really see the overall value and not simply be focused on, yes, does your widget do exactly what these other widgets do? Because there's been so much change in so many places that any buyer that's worth their salt needs to understand they should listen to the seller because these salespeople are the real experts in the field. Yeah, and I and I think that that's, that's, a, that's a great point for people to capture, which is that notion that the seller actually has more expertise and experience in what it takes to purchase what they're selling than the procurement person does, 
which the procurement people may not like hearing, but happens to be true. But of course, if the seller comes across as being too pushy or assuming that everybody's a good fit for them, then that doesn't work either. So what what's the trap that the seller falls into that makes it so procurement doesn't want to listen to them? Okay, this is a great topic. And, and I just want to say amen to your point about the seller's the expert, not the buyer. This is a conversation I have with many companies, with many buyers, saying, how can you go into a transaction feeling like you know exactly what you need? Right? That's another expensive sentence. We know exactly what we need. <laughs> so <laughs> if you don't take advantage of the expertise in the marketplace – as a buyer, you're just denying yourself of a great and extremely valuable free resource. So this question about who's the expert is really important. Now, of course, if I'm buying for my big company, I'm an expert on my company, right? Sure. And, I, and I'm an expert on the results I need. But if you're selling something that fits into, well, let's call it uh, Salesforce automation software, well, boy, you probably know a lot more about that than I do because you've been in the field for some time. You've sold to lots of different enterprises. You know not just about your software, but you know about best practices that surround that. So a seller needs to come in with some humility that, yes, they don't understand exactly what this company is they're selling to. They don't know if it's necessarily a good fit, and we might want to come back to that in a second sure. too. But they should come in with full confidence that they have expertise in the category and in how other clients are getting results. Yep. And, and, and of course, I think that I think that one of the traps, though, Jack, and, and I want to talk about this, is this notion that even if that's true, even if the seller actually has more expertise, even if the seller actually can help to best determine the fit, sometimes they will do things that make it so the buyer doesn't trust their motives and doesn't trust their their agenda in terms of what it is they're trying to do. So so what are some of the what are some of the traps that the that that the seller will put themselves into and how can they make it so that the other side says, "Oh, they may actually be looking out for my best interest." Well, there there are a couple of things here that we've written about Ian <laughs> that that we should, we should reference here. And one is the trap of your own expertise. Salespeople are enthusiastic people, right? They're extroverts. They, they have a lot of energy, and that's all good. And they tend to love the product that they're selling, and that's good. They, they should know it. They should believe it, and they should love it. But if a salesperson leads with their product, with their features, with their expertise, even with the results that other clients have gotten – then what happens is I'm sitting here as a buyer and I'm just hearing this avalanche of all this great stuff you've done elsewhere and all your qualifications. And I'm saying, well, this guy, this gal, they don't even know what my problems are. They don't know what I've tried before. They don't know what my situation is. And so the key piece there is to not start by with your features, but to start with questions. So what we said is the only thing that matters is the customer's problem, right? Yep. And your expertise, your qualifications, your results only matter in the context of solving that customer's problem and getting them results. Yep. Apart from that, they're irrelevant. Yeah. And, and we, we, we talk a lot about this idea of disarming early in the process. And I think that the, the trap that I often see salespeople fall into is they, they kind of walk in with the attitude of, my stuff's perfect for you. You just don't know it yet. And of course, I think that just shuts down the buyer in an instant, as opposed to one of the things I, that, that, 
uh, that I suggest and that we suggest in the book for people is to say, look, yeah, we've helped other organizations solve similar problems with great results, but I don't yet know enough about your situation to know whether or not it would work for you. And sometimes sellers say to me, oh, but if I say that, it doesn't sound like we're confident and that's going to that's gonna make them less inclined to listen to us. So I want you to talk about that a little bit. Oh, well, Ian, I can tell you from a buyer's perspective. Now, if you're there in procurement or if you're a budget owner, if you're leading a marketing organization or a sales organization or an operations organization, you're buying things and those people often feel like they've got a target on their chest. And it says, I'm Mr. Moneybags, uh, you know, come on in salespeople and, and tell me what you can do. And so you feel weary as a buyer because you're constantly hearing, you're getting inbound calls from salespeople all the time. And the message seems to be the same. It seems to be, we've got the magic solution for whatever your problem is. And so that does lead to a bit of an adversarial relationship because it's hard for me to believe that that's all real. And uh, I feel like you want something from me. Now, there's a magic phrase that can instantly pivot somebody from being perceived as another salesperson to being seen as a trusted advisor who can really help. And what's that magic phrase, Jack? That magic phrase is, well, we might not have the solution for you. Now, this can't be manipulative. It has to be authentic. But when I've heard – and I can think of three occasions as a buyer when, when I've heard this in a way that was really credible from salespeople. So, so that's how few there have been over the years, right? But when that's happened – You've been doing this for a couple of decades and you can think of three instances. So our listeners should take note of that right there. Jack's about to tell you, look, here's the best way to handle this. And in the better part of 20 years, it's happened three times. But Ian, those three people – I've still got their contact information. I still reach out to them from time to time because what I saw from them was this is not a person who's just trying to sell me something, who just cares about his company's uh, results. This is somebody who is listening and is interested in my results and wants to help me get toward my goals even if that means that it does not buying from them or using their solution. But what that means is that I'm quick to go back to those people as soon as I think I have something that might fit their solution or to refer me to somebody else. The interesting dynamic is that every time I say to someone in a sales or executive role, look, the first thing you need to do is explain to your potential client that not everyone's a fit, that the way you approach it isn't right for every organization. There's probably a better than 50% chance that that you're not the right fit for them. <laughs> and people say, oh my God, I can't say that, then they won't want to listen to me. And I said, well, no, actually, what's probably going through their head is, well, I wonder what it would take for us to be in the group they can help. That's exactly right. And I know you work with your clients to so walk them through, you know, really examining, well, think it through, you know, of the prospects that we have, how many really are likely to be good fits. And, you know, a lot of that is on the buyer side, because even if you have a perfect solution on paper that matches that organization, you know, I think all of your listeners know that there are situations where you go in and try to deliver your solution in an organization, and there's some reasons. It's organizational. It's political. It's it's because of other outside relationships. It's something that holds back that relationship from really getting the full value of what you're delivering. Now, now as a salesperson, that's pretty frustrating because you know that the buyer can be getting a lot more, but they're not, and they end up not being happy about it, sometimes through no fault of your own. 
But the point is you can often avoid those situations if you get that out on the table, just like you said. You say, hey, we're probably not the right fit. Let's just acknowledge that now. But let's have a conversation to see if maybe we can help you in some way or direct you to somebody that can. Yeah, I'm so glad you made that point in terms of that restraint of, look, if I can't help you, I can refer to somebody who can. And you also mentioned something I think is critical for people to get, which is this idea of this can't be inauthentic. You have to make sure that you're actually looking out for your mutual best interest. I was giving a keynote address um, just, just this week, and one of the questions that came out of the audience, I was talking about this idea of asking questions early in the process. And one of the guys in the front row says, oh, yeah, I totally get that. See, we ask these questions because we want that information because then we can use it against them later. And I kind of just, <laughs> I, I, I just I put my hand, I put my head in my hands and I said, yeah, maybe you didn't get the point of this. This isn't about, I'm asking this stuff so I can use it against them. I said, well, what do you mean? The guy says, well, we sell home improvement. And so I'll ask them early on how long they've owned their home. And so if they tell me they've been in their home for 20 years, I know they have equity and that's how they can pay for this. Okay. And, and so it's funny because I said to the guy, I said, well, why is that information not in the best interest of your client to know? And then he gives this blank stare and he goes, well, I don't know. I said, well, the answer is it's not. In fact, if your client actually wants to do the renovation and doesn't have cash lying around, the fact that they have equity that they can borrow against to afford the renovation they want is actually in your mutual best interest. I said, so the only thing I would suggest for you is that don't think of it as how can I manipulate this out of these people, but instead, wouldn't it be a shame if these people were excited about doing a re renovation that they couldn't pay for? Well, you know, there are two questions, Ian, right along those lines that, that I recommend that buyers always ask a vendor, a, a prospective vendor. And those two questions are, one, uh, who is your best fit? What kind of company is your best fit? And tell me about some of your greatest success stories and where that value is. And if they can really understand that, that helps them understand how this company really succeeds. So that's a great answer for a salesperson to be able to, uh, to give. And the second question is, tell me about who you're not a good fit for. And tell me about some customers that you brought in that didn't work out and why that was. And these are great questions for a buyer to ask. They're fabulous questions for a seller to ask themselves and to really understand. Because if you look over the people you sold to, the companies you have as clients, there are some cases where you're delivering as maximum potential value, and that's great, it's hitting all cylinders. There are other cases where you look back and you think, boy, you know, if we had to do it all over again, these people probably aren't the right customers. So why is that? And so understanding why that is, and it really gives you, I think, that authenticity that, that we that you mentioned earlier, because because I think that's true. You actually you can't fake it. If you go into a sales meeting and you say, "Well, you know, we're not really the right fit for everybody," but 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 we really are. I mean, we really are great. You know? right. And here's what we can do. It has to be authentic, and I think you get there by an honest understanding and examination of where you deliver a ton of value and results and where you fall short, whether it's on you or it's on the client. Yeah, and it's funny because when, when I talk to organizations and I ask them, I say, okay, well, I want you to think of somebody who had this huge impact of, of this issue they were facing, and then I want you to 
tell me what the what the results were they were looking for and why you were well positioned for it. And they go through that and I say, well, how successful is that account? Oh, it was really successful. They loved us. Okay, now I want you to think about a scenario where it wasn't that successful. And you know what what happened there? And they go, oh, it wasn't really a good fit. It's like, oh, come on. Like really, like you know, that's you know, and, and it's like, but they, but they keep trying to pursue those bad opportunities. So I think that point that you make there about finding the right opportunities is so valuable, and it's something that's so lost because people start thinking, man, I, I got to make a sale, and they don't realize that a bad sale is worse than no sale. You said it. That's so true, especially in today's age, where as as I often say. If you deliver great results, there's a good chance that your client is going to tell other people they know. And if you deliver bad results, they're going to tell people they haven't even met. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, I mean the parallel on the buying side is sort of like, well, yeah, there's a great discount on these jeans, so I bought them. Now, now they don't fit me, and I don't really like the style, but it was such a great price, exactly. <laughs> right? So, so a great deal on the wrong buy is a bad deal. Yeah, and 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 it's funny. I, I know that I know that you and I spend a lot of time talking about this idea of disarming, but but I want you to talk about how when the when a, when a seller comes in in that disarming way, what happens that allows the buyer to see that seller as more of a trusted advisor rather than someone trying to sell something. So talk me through kind of the psychology a little bit of what's going on with you as the buyer when that person comes in humbly and with authenticity says, yeah, we may not be able to help. Um, That's a great question. And I think it also relates to this issue of resources versus results. When, when a buyer is sitting on their side of the table, uh, they don't necessarily say I need to buy X what they're thinking is, I have this problem, right? I have this problem, and it's related to you know our, our revenue. It's related to our operational costs. It's related to not being as effective in this area as we need to be, and and that's what it's really about. They're not just saying, well, we're buying in category Y, and we're going to buy the best uh, brand and the best value. That that's not what it is. So when a salesperson can start with the understanding of the problem, that absolutely. Puts the it positions them in a place where they're going to be a trusted advisor because in some meetings you might not ever get to the deck right in some meetings you might not ever get to the demo because it may not be relevant to the specific problem that the buyer has. However, if you can say, well, you know, now that I understand your problem after talking it through, I think that you'd be better off going down this route or maybe talking to this other company that I had or maybe there's even something internal you could try before we go any further in this conversation. Well, then what does the buyer hear? They hear this is a person who really is interested in solving problems and who came in here today with an agenda not just to move product but to help me get closer to my goals. And this is a person I want to continue a relationship with and if there's anything I can buy from them, I'd like to buy from them. But I know that if I do that, they're only going to let me do that if it's honestly going to help me get to my goals. Cool. Now, Jack, I want to I want to do like a little bit of a uh, a game, which we haven't talked we haven't talked about. Okay. But, but I think this would be kind of a fun thing. And so, what I want to do is I want to I want to make statements that sellers may or may not make, and then with you having your procurement or buyer hat on, just give me kind of your initial reaction it's almost like a rorschach test of what's <laughs> of what's going through your head as the buyer because i think this is something that'll give people a lot of insight that they may not otherwise have 
Got it. I, I'm in my role. <laughs> All right. So, and let's let's say that let's say that you know you're you're purchasing some level of professional services from this from this company. Okay. So it's you know it might be accounting services. It might be te- um, you know IT services. It might be some sort of systems integration. Um, you know some sort of you know some sort of consulting type engagement. Cool. Cool. So, so the first thing would be, oh, hey, Jack, I want to let you know that we have we have twelve offices, we have thirteen hundred people, um, we've got people with all these different certifications all around the planet, and we've been doing this stuff for twenty years. Uh, my question is, you know, do you have somebody near me that understands my problem and can help <laughs> me get to my results? Okay, so almost, almost, why would I care? Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why would I care? Okay. Second, second one would be if let's say let's say we're talking we're talking about price, and I say to you, oh well, you know what, Jack, I I, I bet you we can do it for probably twenty percent less than the other vendors are quoting you. Yeah, I think I, I'd be thinking about well, uh, what does that imply in quality, and um, and are they thinking about my results and my value because. Yeah. It's not all about the price. Yeah, and and the funny part is that most people listening are probably thinking, "Oh, that would totally catch their attention." And your immediate concern or your immediate thought went to concern about quality and delivery, not, "Oh, that's great, we're going to save money." Now you're open to saving money, but it doesn't actually make you more confident. Actually, it makes you less confident. Now, if you could deliver the same results for less money, you're happy to do so. But your initial reaction wasn't positive; it was actually negative. That's true. That's true. I think, again, when somebody leads on price, um, that makes me think low quality. Yeah. And and now on that same context, let's say you had said, oh, well, you know, we have the sense this is what it's going to cost. And now as the seller, if I say to you, you know what, Jack, my concern is if we actually did it at that price, I don't know that we could achieve the results that we talked about that are important to you. So at that price point, I don't know that we're the best fit because I'm not confident we can deliver results. What would you like to do? So I think my reaction there very much depends upon how, I, how I'm feeling before that comment. Because yep. if you've shown that you have an interest and an understanding of our actual situation and problem, uh, then I'm going to take that and, and really listen to it and probably take your advice and, and share the same concern. Um, if you haven't been listening um, and you know, if I don't share this, if I don't have the sense that you're really on my side – um, then I'd probably be concerned that you're trying to just upsell me. <laughs> yeah. Then, then, then there's then there's some then there's some manipulative tactic. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the notion the notion of look, Jack, you know, in, in order for us to do it at that level, we would have to bring a skill level into your organization that I don't think can deliver at the level you need to deliver. Well, and the other thing that does, and this is important because you know a lot of your listeners are in a situation where they're selling against somebody else. Um, what that does also is it makes me think about hmm. That other vendor that told me they could do it at even 30% less than these guys, I, I wonder who they're using. I wonder what their approach is, and I wonder if it's really going to be the depth and the quality that we need. Yeah, and I, and I think I think it changes change that dynamic. And then here's here's the one here's the one that I'm really interested in your in your gut reaction on, which is, you know, you know, Jack, we we understand what it is you're trying to do, and even though we've been successful helping a lot of organizations like yours. We find that only about half the companies we meet with who are facing that situation end up being the right fit for the for the approach that we take for that. So I don't yet know whether or not we can help you. <laughs> well, Ian, my honest reaction to that is, hey, what's what's wrong with us? We're the good guys. We're smart. We're probably being that club that can that can work with you. 
And, and why would you think that we're not going to be uh, able to fit like that? Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so I, I want to be included when you say that. And the reason I wanted to go through those examples is because I think it's the kind of stuff that when people hear it, it's like, what might you be thinking that the buyers the goes through the buyer's mind? And then when you describe it, people go, oh, actually, that would work pretty effectively. And it sounds counterintuitive to say half the people we meet with, we can't help. And you think, oh, they must be a bunch of losers. No, they're actually very focused on who they can help and who they can't. And, and it seems counterintuitive. On the other hand, it, it's great to be in sales because if you're a seller, you're also a buyer, right? Because all of us are buyers in life. <laughs> and when we think of what approaches work on us and what we find attractive, um, it's often just those tactics that we've discussed today. Yep. Now, let, let me ask you one, one last question on the, on the buyer-seller side, which is oftentimes people will come to me and say, well, you know, the way we're going to get our foot in the door is we're going to undercut somebody else and then we're going to get in there and then we'll be able to sell stuff at a higher value. Does that work? Well, it, it reminds me of the old days and I'm an old telecom guy, but you remember when uh, AT&T and MCI were having these epic battles and, and, and were sending checks in the mail and, and there were checks for 50, 100, even 150 bucks to switch your long distance service. And, and it took a while for the industry to realize, hey, we're fighting hard and we're spending all this money to attract the worst possible customers, <laughs> the, ones that, <laughs> the ones that switch whenever they have a chance. And, and, and we're, not, we're not being profitable with these people. It's pretty tough if you come in on a price justification to then pivot into quality. Uh, you can look historically at a lot of brands that have tried to do that, and there probably are a couple of examples that have, but, but many have tried and failed. Because once somebody pegs you as the low-cost provider, for you then to say, well, now we've got these extras and now we're going to improve it, it just sows a lot of doubt. Well, why weren't you giving me the good stuff before? <laughs> yeah. and, and if you're really set up to deliver this low-cost structure, then how can you really give me the higher quality? I think it's a very tough move. Yeah, and and it's something where um, it's it's one of, one of the things that I know you and I both explain to people, which is, look, if you win the deal today on price – that customer is going to leave you six months or a year from now because of price. And if you if you work with them to establish value, that buyer will defend you when someone else says, oh, I think we can get it for less. They go, no, no, no. But these guys are delivering results and the other people aren't. Absolutely true. So what's the, what's the greatest, if you had one piece of advice to give people when to try and avoid that adversarial trap and to create better success and a better better cooperation between buyer and seller, what would you tell them to do? I'd say know you, where you add the most value. Know it well and then be able to communicate that and use that early on to qualify your prospects. And just the way we've said, you know, that that comment that, well, look, we're probably not the ones you're going to want to buying from because it's probably not a match. There's a lot behind that. There's lots of understanding where you deliver value and then being able to convey that authentically. But when you do that, then you'll instantly get into that trusted advisor category. And even if you don't sell to that person you're talking to that day, they're much more likely to call you up in two weeks and say, hey, I was just talking to my colleague at another company. And based on what you told me, I think they're perfect for you. That's great. That's great. And it's all about creating that shift from the seller to being the trusted advisor. So Jack, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? They can find me at buyingexcellence.com, B-U-Y-I-N-G, excellence, and also at Expensive Sentences. I mentioned that's uh, a book I'm going to release this year, 
and a topic I've been exploring for years, kind of a fun topic, but expensivesentences.com, I'm there too. Yeah, no, you know what? The expensive sentences side, I'm really looking forward to reading it. I mean, because I know we've talked about a lot of these expensive sentences, and I just love it, and um, and I, I know it's going to be a great read. I know this is your third book, so um, I'm just glad that you uh, you were kind enough to hang out with me on book number two, and as I always tell people, all the good parts in it were written by you. <laughs> Well, it's really hard for me to disagree with that, Ian. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Well, Jack, thanks so much for joining us. Hey, it's been great, Ian. Thank you so much. All right. I always enjoy spending time with Jack. He's just a wealth of knowledge in how buyers think. Let me give you some quick takeaways you can use and put to work right away in your business. First, that value in disarming is something we can't underestimate. That's something where you really need to spend time making sure you disarm the notion you're just there to sell something and you're actually looking for the best fit. The second thing is that saying what you're not a fit in is actually an area where you build the greatest amount of trust. And finally, remember Jack's reaction to those different phrases that I said. You might be saying some of those same things and you think you're getting one reaction, you're really getting another one. Remember, this program gets its input from you, the listener. If there's a guest you think I should have on the show or a topic you'd like me to cover, just send me a note directly at ian.altman at growmyrevenue.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everybody can embrace, even your customer. Thank you for joining us each week for the Grow My Revenue Business Cast with Ian Altman. Unconventional strategies for selling, innovation, and leadership. Be sure to subscribe to our program on iTunes or Stitcher. Don't miss Ian's weekly newsletter and be a part of the conversation on growmyrevenue.com and via Twitter at growmyrevenue.com.